Please stand for the reading of God's Word. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse twenty-four. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you teach us this morning about the good fight, the race, Lord, that You have placed us in. Teach us about how You empower us in it. Teach us about the uh, crown, the goal of it, Lord. Teach us about Your grace and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So during our study of 1 Corinthians, we've discussed uh, a a number of things uh, that the city of Corinth and the city, uh, really, of Boston, uh, have in common. Corinth was a place, uh, like uh, much like other places in Greece, which uh, idolized uh, learning and education. Corinth was an extremely prosperous place. In fact, if you read uh, contemporary writers, they say things like, you know, they warn people about. Uh, that uh, they may not be able to move there because the standard of living is so high. Corinth was obsessed with sensuality and sex. The city was known throughout the Roman world as a destination for those who wanted to experiment and discover the dark side of sex and sensuality. Corinth was also sports crazy. Not familiar? When Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians in about 57 A.D., the Olympic Games had taken place in Greece every four years without interruption since 776 B.C. They continued until A.D. 393 when they were eliminated by Emperor Theodosius. Uh, That would be 1,169 years straight without interruption. I mean, that's perseverance. That's dedication for you. They were so important then when, uh, that they called off any war that was going on. If there was a war that was going on, Athens and Sparta uh, used to get into all kinds of wars with each other. They'd call off the war so they could have the Olympics. It was so important to them. They were sports crazed. I mean, uh, now Corinth uh, uh, itself uh, was uh, did not host the Olympic Games, but it hosted in the off years, and uh, uh, like the second, third year after the the, uh, the Olympics, uh, they would hold what's called the Isthmus Games. Uh, 
If the Olympic Games were the Super Bowl, the Isthmus Games were like the Rose Bowl. Uh, the, the, they weren't the Olympics, but they were really, really important. And athletes from all over the world would come there a year beforehand, before the competition. And uh, during that year's time, they only had one thing in mind. One thing in mind. And that was winning. And every morning when they woke up, the first thing they thought on their mind was winning. And every night before they went to bed, as they, as they fell asleep, the one thing on their mind, winning. For an entire year, they laid aside every freedom they otherwise would have had. Sleeping late from time to time. Staying out late and partying. Pigging out, whatever, a few times a week taking a week off and hanging out on a beach somewhere in Greece. Uh, they would take away time from uh, friends, time away from uh, family, time away from loved one. Uh, so when Paul uh, says in verse 24, uh, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize, uh, they knew what he was talking about. They were well familiar with what he was talking about. Paul is comparing the life of a Christian, a follower of Jesus, to an athlete. He goes on in verse 26 and 27 again to say, he says, Therefore I run thus not with uncertainty, thus I fight not as one who beats the air. Speaking of, of boxing, which was very uh, popular in the Olympics then. But I discipline my body and I bring it into the subjection, lest when I have preached to others... I myself become disqualified. So we're talking about uh, bringing the body into subjection. So what's he getting at here anyway? What is the prize? What is the crown that he's talking about in these verses? Is the prize heaven? And if you just opened these verses up and read just these verses, it looks like that's what he's talking about. Heaven is the prize eternal life. Uh, is he speaking to us and, and meaning, well, are we, you and I, in a race where the prize, the crown, is eternal life with Jesus? Am I in a race where if I run well enough, I will get to heaven? A race where if you discipline your uh, body, if you bring it into subjection, meaning you, you bring it to the place where it's, you're, you control it, and, and, and you know every morning focused on one thing, getting into heaven, every evening getting into heaven, throughout the day getting into heaven. A race if I train well enough, if I'm focused enough, if I keep my eyes on the prize, I, I may get to heaven. A race in which I, I give up the pleasures of life. I, uh, I, 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 enough parties, enough uh, giving up, pigging out, enough vacations I give up, enough time with, leisure time with friends and family, um, I'll be in. Looks like that's what he's talking about. Is that what he's talking about? The word gospel, I'll answer these questions with this. The word gospel, it's used over a hundred times in the New Testament. It's used nine times in this chapter alone. Ten times if you're reading the King James. There are many ways to study the Bible. One of the ways is to read a chapter and circle the words that occur more than once. 
and, you know, you circle the word and you write it down and you really focus on why is this person who's writing this letter or book, why are they using this word uh, a lot? And, and just by circling the words that are used a lot, it helps you to understand uh, that uh, what a writer is trying to emphasize in a chapter. And so it's a real effective way of, of studying the Bible. It's, uh, Kay Arthur, some of you who know her, she's re- popularized this kind of uh, uh, Bible study teaching. My wife Stephanie uses it on Wednesday nights. And so, anyway, if you're circling words in this same chapter, chapter 9, you'll, you'll, uh, uh, you'll circle the word gospel nine times. Ten times if you're using King Jimmy. So gospel, you know, we hear that word all the time. What does it mean? It actually has a very simple meaning. Good news. Good news. So those two words put together, good news, they're used over a hundred times in the New Testament, nine times in this chapter. And in verse 16, Paul says, Woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel the good news. Woe, that word woe, it means it's a word that someone used at the time who devastation had been brought on their life. A child had, been, had died. A husband or wife had died. And, and it just meant devastation. Paul says, woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel, the good news. What Paul is saying here, it, 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 listen, this is, this is pretty intense. He's saying, uh, it's so important to God that I teach this good news that He is going to bring woe on me. He will bring devastation on my life if I go into rebellion and I walk away and I refuse to teach it. That's pretty intense. That's like Jonah. Jonah had a call of, uh, of God in his life to teach the good news. He, he, he sort of revolted. And he went the other way. And, and God brought woe, devastation on his life. He ended up in the belly of a whale. And so it's real important that God, to God this word, this phrase, good news. God really, really doesn't want it, wants this thing out. He, 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 he doesn't want it hidden. And, and, and Jesus, in the last chapter of the book of Mark, He says to His disciples, actually right before He ascends into heaven, He says, go into all the world and preach the good news. Same word, gospel, to every creature. So all this begs a question, what is the good news? What is the good news? It's this, the race for our eternal life has already been won. The race for our eternal life has already been won. Jesus Christ ran the race and He won it. 1 Peter 1 Uh, Verse 18 says, Jesus Christ suffered on the cross for our sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. 1 Corinthians 15 uh, says that, Thanks be to God who has given us victory over death through Jesus Christ our Lord. The race that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, is not a race for our eternal life. That race has been won. It's been won by the only person who was ever capable of winning it, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus ran the perfect race. He lived the perfect life. He, because the, he became the perfect sacrifice for us on the cross. Uh, he paid the penalty that we otherwise would have had to pay ourselves. And He was buried. He, was rose, uh, he rose from the dead after three days. 
Jesus won the victory. And here's the deal. He will now share the victory with anyone who opens their heart to him. So in Revelation 3.20, Jesus himself says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens, hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in and dine with them or live with them and he with me. And so all, of, uh, all you have, uh, have to do to share in Jesus' victory is to uh, take that victory prize that Jesus offers you. And He offers it to you for free. That is the good news. So where am I going with all of this? Listen. If you have to run in a, w- a race well enough to get to heaven, if you had to discipline your body and bring it into subjection, every morning focused on one thing, getting to heaven, every evening focusing on one thing, getting to heaven before you went to bed, if you had to go through life wondering if you're uh, uh, running uh, hard enough, if you're focused enough, if you're giving up enough pleasures, if you're giving up enough of your free time with your friends and your family and uh, enough parties, enough pagan out, whatever, that would not be good news. That would be bad news. Uh, That would be terrible news because no one is capable of winning that race. The good news is called good news. It's used over a hundred times in the New Testament, nine times in this chapter, ten times if you're reading the King Jimmy, because Jesus Christ won the race for you. So you, this morning, who have put your faith in Jesus, you are in a race, you're in a race, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but it's not in a race for your eternal life with Jesus. It's not in a race for heaven. You're not in that race. The race has been won. Jesus says in John 10, 26 and 27, speaking to His sheep who have put their faith in Him, that describes you. He's speaking to you. He says, I give you eternal life and they will never, and you shall never perish. He says, neither shall anyone snatch you out of my hand. If you've taken the victory prize that Jesus offers for free, the race has been won. And nothing, nothing will ever be able to, no one will be able to snatch that victory prize out of your hand. So, if he's not talking about eternal life, What's Paul talking about when he refers to a race? A race that we're in. Paul's talking about the race that the Lord has placed you and I in after He saves us to accomplish the good works that He has prepared for us in advance to do. In Ephesians Uh, chapter 2. It says that, uh, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that is a race. That's the race that He has Put you in. He has prepared, uh, much like a, a runner preparing for the Olympic, that this race is going to involve uh, giving up your freedom it's, uh, that, you, that really is rightfully yours, and so that God's purpose in your life 
will be fulfilled. So in the last couple of weeks on Sunday morning, uh, we have been uh, in, uh, in chapter 8 and the first 23 verses of chapter 9. Uh, we talked a lot about the freedom that a person uh, gets when they open up their hearts to Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 8, when the Son of Man sets you free, you're free indeed. And that's talking about the freedom that God pours into your life when you uh, open up your, your heart to Him and, and take by faith that victory prize uh, from Him. Uh, you're free. Free from what? Free from the tremendous burden. Uh, that is poured, uh, 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 the uh, tremendous burden that you had prior to your life uh, with Christ when you tried to run that race uh, all on your own. And so in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, Paul says, I'm free from all men. He's, he's referring to the fact that he was free from all man-made religion, from all the restrictions, from all the regulations uh, uh, that, that had been put imposed upon him in order to, to run the race, that it made the race so burdensome and so frustrating, no joy in this race, and, and so uh, that he had lived under. And, and, and so Paul says, I'm free from all men, uh, but he doesn't stop there. Uh, he goes goes on, he says, Though I am free uh, from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more, he says in verse 19. Though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant of all that I might win the more. And so we talked about what that meant. We talked a lot about the illustration that uh, Paul gives in chapter 8 involving meat that had been sacrificed to to idols, uh, the meat offered at pagan temples to false gods. And somehow it it made its way into the meat markets and then to the whatever, the frugal gourmet of Corinth and sliced and diced it and it showed up in the kitchens around uh, Corinth. uh, But this seemed outrageous to some Christians who had been formerly involved in that pagan worship, and, and, and they made up a rule. And the rule says, Thou shalt not eat meat offered in pagan temples. So they were now, they were now beginning to chip away at the freedom that, a, that a, a follower of Jesus had. And so they asked Paul, Well, what do we do about this? Uh, meat offered in pagan temples. And, and Paul's advice was this, as Christians, you're free from all man-made rules. Uh, meat offered in pagan temples, it's nothing. Uh, you're free to eat it. However, uh, though you're free from all men, you're free to eat, eat it. You're a servant to all. And so, therefore, if you ate this thing and you knew that to eat it, it was going to cause someone to freak out in your church, or worse, if someone saw you eating it, and it caused them to say, hmm, maybe it's okay for me to go back to that former life and, and, and participate in it and worship in that uh, pagan uh, temple. Uh, God, uh, Paul said, out of love for your brother or sister, don't do it. Give up your freedom. So in your heart you know you're free. But in, da- in your daily life you get to give up your, uh, your freedom. And so... Um, though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. I'm going to be God's vessel of love and grace so that I might win the more. In other words, uh, whatever I can do to bring a person closer uh, to Jesus Christ, he's gonna be, God's going to pass me in this race. He's going to put me in contact with 
people all day. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy that God desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of Him. And, and, and He's using us as a vessel of love and grace. So uh, every person who we come into contact with, we may see them as just nameless faces. They're people that God is trying to show love, uh, uh, show His love to and draw them to Himself. He's put us in a race to draw those people uh, to Him and He's called us in that race to give up our freedom every day. So in Christ, I'm free to have a drink of alcohol. But if I am drinking it and it might cause a brother or sister with a history of alcohol abuse to stumble, I'm going to give up that freedom. In Christ, I'm free to take the money I earn and just whatever, binge on myself. Uh, but if I know that there's a, a someone in, who, who God puts into my life, who uh, it's not a coincidence that people are put into our, our life with need, I'm supposed to give up the freedom I had with that money and I'm supposed to give it over to that person. Uh, in Christ, I can use my free time to do whatever I want. I can use it to uh, watch the Patriots. I can use it to uh, go to a Red Sox game uh, or the Frugal Gourmet, whatever. Uh, but if, someone, uh, if I know someone uh, who needs my time who needs my time, and I'm, you know, and I'm using that time. I intended, man, I, I, I intended to use this time to, to watch the Patriots or watch the Frugal Gourmet or whoever. I, I'm going to take that freedom. I'm going to lay it aside. I'm going to give up that that time. In Christ, I can jump into my bed and I am free to take a ten-hour power nap. But if I know that there's someone who needs my time, I, you know, uh, or needs that bed, I'm going to take that freedom, that, that bed that is mine, for, I'm free to enjoy, and I'm going to give that bed over. And now, if in Christ, if there's a person in my life who's like a thorn in my side, a pebble in my shoe, uh, an aggravation with a capital A, I, in Christ, I'm free to split to get out of there. But if I know that that person needs to see Christ, if it becomes apparent, this person, wow, this person's not in my life as a coincidence. God's put him there. Uh, I will live with that pebble in my shoe. I will live with that thorn in my side. I'll lay aside my freedom. So that's what Paul is talking about uh, throughout chapter 8. The first uh, 23 verses of chapter 9. And by the way, real important topic. He continues it in chapter 10. This thing about giving up our freedom is like a big time thing. It, it goes to the very heart of what love is. And so what, that's what Paul is talking about. But you know, as you start thinking about this, you, you, you start really thinking about it and really what it means for you. I don't know if this happens to you, but when I start really thinking about it, what, what it means to me, what's the problem with all of that? What is the problem uh, with this? What are we going to be uh, faced with if we start giving up our freedom in the way that Paul is describing? He is saying, out of if you're going to let God... To, to use you as a vessel of grace and love, you are going to be a servant for all men. You're going to be giving up the, those freedoms sort of all day. And so this is just a spirit-led, 
doesn't mean you give them up all the way. It doesn't mean you give up, you know, all your time. It doesn't mean you give up all your money. It doesn't mean you give up your bed. But, hey, any situation that, um, that you're in in your life, it may call at a certain given time for each of those things to happen. And so, um, what is, but what's going to start happening if you start living your life this way? Your flesh is going to start going bonkers. It's going to start just going nuts on you. Don't give up that meat offered to idols. I like that meat. Don't give up that drink. I need a drink. Don't give up your money. That's my money. Don't give up your time. You deserve a break. Give up your bed. Are you crazy? That's my bed. I earned that bed with my money. I earned that time in that bed with my hard, sweat-earned work. Don't give that bed away. Ah, That's what your flesh will do to you. Your flesh will be going nuts. Your body, it's going to go into full-fledged rebellion if you start running this race. It's going to hate it. And wow, what a clash. You know, God has called us to love. 1 Corinthians 13.3 If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. John 4 uh, First John 4 says this, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he, Jesus, has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So God has called you to love. But guess what? Your flesh has called you to self-love. That's, that's, that's like a big-time problem. The question is, what are we going to do about it? So Paul uh, says, Paul knows that people are, are thinking about this very thing. I mean, he just spent the last 28 verses or, say, or something saying, look, if you need to give up all your money, that's what you need to do. By then, he knows that the flesh of those Corinthians reading this letter is just crying out. So he says, verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, meaning they're self-controlled in all things. The NIV, which I prefer there, says everyone who competes for the prize goes into strict training. Thinking about a runner here. I know a thing or two about strict training of a runner. I used to be a a cross-country runner. Not only was I a cross-country runner in high school, I was a cross-country runner in South Florida. Do you guys know how crazy that is? The Deerfield Beach Bucks, my friend here, Brittany went to Deerfield Beach, same high school. Pretty crazy that 
both came to the same high went to the same high school. But anyway, uh, South Florida, and 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 man, you're even sitting in the shade in the, in in South Florida in the summer. And by the that by the way, that's when you started training for cross country because it was in the fall. You sit in the shade and you will be soaking. Anyone who's, who's ever lived there knows exactly what I'm talking about. Can you imagine training, running four to seven miles a day in that? I mean, you have to be a madman to do this. And I used to have this little game. You know, in addition to cross country, I ran the long distance stuff in track and field. And uh, I used to have this little game I played with myself. And I'd show up at these track meets. And, you know, track, track meets, of course, there are many other events other than long distance. There's, there's the 100-yard dash. There's the 220. There's the pole vault and, and the hurdles, whatever. And, and if you've ever been a track meet, you know that most of the time the athletes are doing nothing but sitting around. And their stomach is, like, nervous and going nuts. And, and you know, they're sitting around the stands. And, but I used to have this little... A game I used to uh, sort of go around and I would just pick out visually out of the hundreds because some of the hundreds of kids because sometimes there are many many schools there I just picked out who the long distance runners were out of the crowd I mean they didn't have a sign on them that said I am a long distance runner but I knew and you know how I used to do this I used to look around and, and pick out the people who just look psycho they just looked crazy. And, and you know, uh, I would see someone sitting there, you know, you know, just looking all crazy-like. And I said, yep, that is one of them. And I look at another, yeah, that's another one of them. I, I mean, who else would do this kind of thing? Who else would, would run hundreds of miles in South Florida in 90 degrees with 99% humidity? Of course, I was one of these psychos. You know, I was one of them. A psycho knows a psycho, right? But anyway, uh, so I had this uh, close friend uh, who I trained with every day. I mean, this guy, his name was Aloysius. Aloysius Nelson. And this guy, he was really crazy. And I'll tell you why. But anyway, he, Aloysius and I, we ran all over South Florida. So it seemed like just training and just through the woods and, uh, you know, over the highways on bridges and crazy things like wind sprints and in the hot, in the middle of the day and crazy things like this. But you know, Aloysius, he was crazier than anyone else. And why do I say this? Well, let me tell you something about Aloysius Nelson. He, he was like the fastest guy in the school. So I think he had the record in the 220 for these short little sprints. Now, let me tell you, if I was the fastest guy in my school, there's like 2,000 people in it. If I was the fastest guy in my school in the 100-yard dash, I would not be out running more than a half a mile in the South Florida sun. This guy, actually, even though he's the fastest guy in the school, he would come out and run cross-country. I mean, I thought that was really crazy. But anyway, uh, he just wanted to tell you about my friend Aloysius, but he was a glutton for, uh, for punishment. And all this to say that I knew firsthand uh, what, what I know firsthand what Paul is talking about. I can think of no better illustration of the battle with my flesh in the spiritual realm, than, than what a, a runner goes through in training. And, and every time, I remember getting into these races, and, and every time, without fail, you know, I would be uh, on a home stretch, and, and there was a couple things going through my mind. One was my flesh. It was like, stop! Why are you doing this to me? Are you crazy? Why don't you go do something else with your life? 
You know, why are you doing this to me? And I remember always, at every single race, without fail, I'd be thinking to myself, I forgot it was this bad. Every time. And I don't know what happened. Like, right after the race, I forget. I repressed it or something. And then I'd be, you know, on that 2.8 mile again. Oh, yeah. It really is this bad. And and, and so this is really terrible. So anyway, when um, Paul says here in verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize and run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize uh, uh, goes into strict training. I mean, man, I know, I know about this. Man, when you train for long distance uh, in South Florida, uh, you want you talk about giving up your freedom. I mean, you know, every day after school, I had the freedom, you know, to go home and like do the things that kids do. You snooze, you hang out in a pool somewhere, whatever. And, and every day, I, I had the I had the right to give it up, but every day. I had to say no to my flesh. And man, did it cry out, give me a rest, no. Uh, Comfort me, no. Uh, uh, Relieve me, no. And and, you know, just pushing on. And and, and, you know, what's so crazy about all this? I, I did it to obtain a perishable crown. Paul says in verse 25, Uh, Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, meaning a crown that's just going to, it's going to just disintegrate. What was my crown? My crown was, oh man, I I just want my name to be heard on the loudspeaker of that school. Steve Cole, you know, third place in whatever. And guess how many people today remember my name? You know, coming out on the loudspeaker of Deerfield Beach High, like a big goose egg, zero. And, and, and then, you know, what was my perishable crown? You know, a, a trophy that the school bought in some shop for a buck ninety-nine or something. And I, I still have a couple of these things around my house. Um, there's one, like, it doesn't have a head. The head broke off. The arm broke off. The leg broke off. The thing, you know, you, you look at it. it was, what's that? Oh, that's my crown. That's what I ran thousands of miles to get, you know? And, and you know, what is, what's that headless, armless, legless thing going to be doing in 10,000 years when I'm just starting with my eternal journey with Jesus. Man, it's going to be deep, deep in the dump somewhere, that thing. But, uh, but anyway, and, and, so, and, and that's what he's getting at here. He says, uh, and the amazing thing, these people who come to Corinth every year to train, they're doing it for a, a perishable crown. But he says, we do it for an imperishable crown. An imperishable crown, meaning uh, a crown uh, that is indestructible. God has put us in a race in which we are a vessel of his love and grace and, and, and to, be, uh, to receive a crown that is indestructible, that will last for eternity. Jesus said in the Sermon on the, on the Mount, don't Don't run around spending your whole life investing in things that the rust that that rust will destroy, that moss will get into and eat, 
and to invest in treasures in heaven which are uh, indestructible. And so uh, the crown that Paul is talking about here, the reward, it's the reward for running the race well. And let me tell you, every person I know who is a mature brother, sister in Christ who really loves the Lord, what they want to hear more than anything else is well done. Good and faithful servant. Here's your crown. I mean, you know, when people read this uh, verse, they, they think, well, what about the person who does, doesn't care about uh, the crowns? What about a person who doesn't care about the rewards? Well, you know, some I question that person's salvation. Because if you have been saved, if you have been born again, you want to hear your Lord, your Savior, your loving Savior say to you, well done. Well done. You ran thousands of miles. You died to your body. You, you, you put it to death every time your flesh raised its ugly head. You, you uh, beat it back down. And, and Well done. Here is your crown. Let me tell you, if you don't have that desire to hear that, you need to take some time on, by yourself and you need to examine whether you are in the faith. Because that is an evidence, a sure demonstration of a person who has been saved by the Lord and put into that race by Him. Now, uh, Paul continues in verse 26. He says, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, meaning there's focus there. There's focus there. But I discipline my body now, I, again, I like the NIV. It's word for word. It's a better translation. It says, I beat my body. It's a word used at the time for boxers. For boxers. Uh, it, 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 you know, when they got hit actually underneath the, the, in the face, underneath the eye, that word eye and face is sort of in the Greek word here. And, and, and it says, but I discipline my body. I beat my body and I bring it into subjection. That means subdued. That means sort of keep it under control, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Uh, what does disqualified mean? Of course, it's not talking about uh, uh, disqualified from living um, forever with Jesus. Again, Jesus won that race. This is talking about being disqualified from hearing those precious words that every person who's really been born again wants to hear with all their heart. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that crown that any Christian who has been really born again wants to, wants to receive. That crown, that reward, that, again, we're not exactly sure what it means, has something to do with our, uh, uh, how we're going to be worshiping in, in, in eternity. That's what the reward means. Everyone wants to receive that. So, you know, it's interesting here uh, in verse 27. It says, but I discipline my body, I beat my body, and I bring it 
into subjection. If you look at the Greek, do a word study, it means I bring it under. I put it under. I keep it under. Subdue it. I keep it down. Now listen. When God saved you, the Bible says in a very real way, He turned you upside down. Or rather, He turned you right side up. He turned you around. The Bible says that prior to a man or woman being saved, they are dominated by the flesh. In other words, the flesh is on top. The spiritual life is on the bottom, just being dominated. And and really, it's dead. It's just being completely dominated. The Bible says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And and really, you've been turned right side up where the, the Spirit dominates the flesh. And so the flesh goes down into the basement. And so many times what happens is a person who is recently born again, uh, they're sort of totally on fire, filled with joy for the Lord, and, and, and they're going along, and then, you know, after about six months to a year or something like that, all of a sudden, the flesh starts crying out from the basement. Wait a second, I don't like this new home that you've given me. I want out. I want to occupy the living room of your life. And, and I just want to take over and, and I want to be the central part of your life. And, and it starts rearing its ugly head. What do you do? Some of these bleary-eyed guys who watched the fight last night started at 11.30. Oscar De La Hoya. Can you imagine? 11.30. What's up with this world? The fight started at 11.30. But anyway, they watched this last night. Boom. Right underneath the eye. That's what they were watching last night. And that is what you need to do every time uh, your flesh rears its ugly head and tries to occupy your living room. It's in the basement. The Bible says that until we're given a new body, we still have to live with our old nature. But Jesus has dismantled it by His life on the cross and giving us the Holy Spirit. And, and it's in subjection. It's in the basement. But we have a choice after He puts us in the race. Are we going to let the flesh, every time we're going to get, you know, uh, the Spirit of God in us that's dominating our life now says, okay, you know, you need to give up that freedom. You need to give up that free time for this person. You need to give up that drink for this person. You need to give up that, um, that money, whatever, for this person. If, the, if you're going to allow the flesh to be victorious as it's crying out, yeah, give me my money, give me my, uh, give me my bed, you know, give me my time, and, and, and come up into your living room, you're, you're going to be, Paul says, disqualified for the prize. Better yet to, to, to strike it and it's a battle. I mean, listen, running four to six miles a day in South Florida, it is a battle. The Christian life is a battle. It's a glorious battle. It's filled with joy. It's filled with, you know, I think about, you know, the runner's high after you go just gangbusters for a four to, in a race that's two or three miles. Just the, the runner's high. Actually, it's a fascinating thing about runner's high that, um, 
they've actually discovered that your body, your tremendous, incredible body that God created, produces tiny little opiates and, and to, to deal with the pain that you're in when you're, you're running that race or you're incredibly, uh, you know, you're incre- your body's incredibly worn out. That's, that's coming for this relief from the Lord. And that's what runners, when they have a runner's high, it's really a runner's high. And they're getting all those opiates in just a godly-like measure. So it's, it, it, and, and, and that's how the Christian life is. It's just really, it's so filled with joy. But there's that training and that beating of the body and that putting under that we need to do even as we're in the race that God has put us in. And so, I want to close uh, in Ephesians once again, chapter 3. And I just want to say again what I've already repeated and reiterated over and over again, it really is all about love because we're not going to be able to run this race without being filled with the Holy Spirit, without being baptized with the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. And so I just want to close reading from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul totally aware that everyone, uh, that no one can run this race that he's describing without the full measure of God, without the full measure of the, uh, his love in their life, uh, praise this. And this is what I want to pray for us now, and this is what I want you to continue to pray for yourself. Substitute your own name, substitute the name of your brothers and sisters in Christ uh, and throughout the world and in this church, and and and. And this should be the constant prayer of, you know, from our lips. Verse 14, for this reason. What do you mean for this reason? For the re- because of this incredible, you know, race that, that you're on. It says, I bowed my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, that He would give you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, in other words, you'll have a, you'll be able to experience with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, meaning... He's able to do exceedingly abundantly in the race that you're in. He's able to work in your life exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power that works in us. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we really, Lord, that just echoes the prayer of our heart. We want to please You, Lord. We want to... We want to live a life, Lord, faithful to the calling that You have for us. That race, Lord, 
that race with that incredible reward, that incredible crown, that imperishable crown, Lord. But we're weak. And the flesh, Lord, it's very active. And it's very, it's, 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 it's a, a hard opponent, Lord. And, and we need, Lord, to be filled with power through Your Spirit and our inner man, Lord, that Jesus would dwell in our hearts through faith and that once rooted and established in that love, we would, have, we would be able to see how wide and long, high and deep is your love. That you may be, do exceedingly, abundantly in our lives, even, Lord, as we're running the race you have called us to. I pray this, Lord, for each and everyone in this room. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, please rise uh, for a worship song.